into the theology pit. Theology pit. You're falling in the theology pit. everyone, welcome back to The Theology Pit. This is Theology Out of Pittsburgh, and not to be confused with The Bottomless Pit, because you know what we say, when you fall into a bottomless pit, you die of dehydration. I'm, of course, your friendly neighborhood host, podcaster, seminarian, Samson Kovach, coming to you semi-live once again through the podcast. I didn't really have a good thing thought up for that. Anyways, we are going to continue uh, with our study through uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses uh, 15 through 21, I believe it is. And we are already up to uh, chapter 17, or yeah, chapter 17 yeah, in Galatians. I don't know which, maybe I'm reading the Galatians in the book of Second Opinion, verse 17 in chapter 2. Um, I wasn't able to get this out uh, last week. Earlier in the week, I had man flu really, really bad, and it took me out of commission. But now, I think I'm doing a little bit better. So, if we will turn to the second chapter in uh, Galatians and uh, look at the 17th verse, the way I have translated it is, but if we are seeking to be pronounced righteous in Christ, and we are found to be sinners, why don't we just admit that Christ is the minister of sin. It could never be a reality. So, with the subjective genitive uh, use, that is the faith of Christ or the faithfulness of Christ, Paul here is referring to the cultural and ethnic markers that distinguish Jew from Gentile. And this moves along with a little bit of the new perspective on Paul also. Um, This verse is echoing the behavior of Jewish Christians on display that began the confrontation with Peter. Okay, the the table fellowship of Jews eating with Gentiles is seen as unlawful and sinful, especially by Jews who strictly follow the law. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, we see Peter at Cornelius's house uh, where he makes his proclamation. And I'm reading this from the New English Translation Bible. He says, um, he said to them, you know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Yet God has shown me that I should call no person defiled or ritually unclean. So, the same word Paul uses here for sinners, okay, uh, hamartoloi, uh, is also used in verse 15. So, this is suggesting a, a regression from the covenantal righteousness associated with ethnicity to being a sinner just like the Gentiles. Now, the the theologian and author Richard Hayes writes, the conditional sentence in verse 17 is formulated not as a contrary to fact condition, but as a real condition. Paul and others who join him at the table with Gentiles are seeking to be rectified in Christ, according to verse 16, and they are in fact being perceived as sinners by those who disapprove of their actions, unquote. See, Hayes notices that the word for servant that is used here, um, diakonos, can also be used for that of a, a table servant. 
All right. So further attesting to the table imagery as it, quote, links the objection vividly to the scene of Jews and Gentiles eating at one table. The two subjects being contrasted are the law and Christ. While the law is not directly mentioned in this verse, it is present from verse 16 as contrasted with Christ. In his commentary on Galatians, uh, Martinius C. DeBoer notes that these phrases are not instrumental. Quote, both phrases are locative, indicating the place or the sphere within which justification is being sought. He continues, that territory is the community of people, both Jew and Gentile, who have come to believe in Jesus Christ so that they might be justified on the basis of Christ's faith and not on the basis of the works of the law. Verse 16c, unquote. So the relational aspect of where we stand with others continues through this verse. Now, on the objective genitive side, and also moving into somewhat of a, a law gospel understanding, the sin Paul mentions is the appearance of sin due to the grace of God in Christ. In his sermon on Galatians, uh, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, John Calvin says this, quote, it should, be, it should seem, then, that Jesus Christ bringeth sin. Before, for before his coming, the Jews were reckoned for God's children. They bear the badge of holiness in their bodies, and moreover, it was said unto them that they were the holy and chosen people of God. Now then, seeing they became fellow-like with wretched sinners, and there is nothing but cursedness to be found in them, so as they be fain or obliged to flee for refuge to to the mere grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it seemeth that Jesus Christ brought sin into the world. Unquote. So, the abandonment of the law and doing the works of the law in Christ is where the tension comes to a point as sinful. Not only is Paul saying that neither view is a correct way of identifying sin, but he is indicating that this way of thinking is keeping you from Christ. Doing the law with or without Christ is a rejection of Christ because the claim is that he is insufficient and leads to sin. Gentiles should not seek to be like Jews. Jews, rather, should seek to be like Gentiles. William Hendrickson favors this interpretive understanding in his commentary on Galatians. He says this, quote, In substance, Paul is saying, Peter... And all of you who have followed his example, consider what you are doing. By your actions, you are really saying that Christ was wrong when he taught you. That it is not what enters a man from without that makes, defiles him, but rather what proceeds out of his heart. From Matthew 15, 1-20, through 20, that all meats are clean. Mark uh, seven nineteen, and that men are saved by simply coming to trust in Him, Matthew eleven twenty five through thirty and John three sixteen. Is it really true then that Christ is a sin promoter? That 
is that he, by his teaching, example, death on the cross, makes you a greater sinner than you were already? Unquote. Martin Luther takes Paul's words here one step further, equating the sin with the law. He says, quote, Therefore, they that are justified in Christ are not justified, and so it followeth that Christ is not a justifier, but a minister of the law. In this argument, he chargeth false apostles and all merit mongers that they pervert all, for they make of the law grace and of grace the law. Moses Christ and Christ Moses. R.A. Cole, unquote there. R.A. Cole finds the beginning of this verse to be the most difficult in finding the exact meaning of uh, Hamartoloi. In his commentary on Galatians, Cole writes, quote, In view of the latter development of the argument, uh, the NEB message, New English Bible message, is probably right with, we know less than the Gentiles have accepted the position of sinners, unquote. There's a clear indication that our association to the law are abandoned, are to be abandoned. Otherwise, we make Christ the minister of sin. The best translation of the, this, this Greek, hamartias uh, dikaios, would be minister of sin rather than servant of sin in order to show um, the religious Judaizing aspect of it. So, in my summary between these, these two positions, which may seem subtle to you as you're listening to this, but um, once again, I, I find merit in both positions. Although I detect a sarcastic tone in Paul's wording, in uh, the, the verse contains three uh, prepositions. Um, and in these three prepositions, Longnecker, Richard Longnecker observes that the protasis of the sentence contains the first two prepositions, both of which are governed by the conditional particle if. The sentence is a first-class conditional sentence, which grammatically assumes all of the protasses to be true. By Paul using this structure, he escalates from general agreement um, to a reducto ad absurdum. Uh, the, the, the pattern follows first with a general agreement and then an uncomfortable assumption that's followed by an outlandish claim, which Paul quickly refutes in the strongest way possible. The uncomfortable assumption centers around uh, the word uh, urethamen, and that's uh, derived from uh, 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 Eurisco, which uh, we're in English we get the term Eureka. You know, I find. Uh, so, it, but in the aorist passive form, and so that's in 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 like a in a past tense form, indicating that someone has reached a conclusion based on an investigation. Okay, so that's where you know this whole Eureka, you know, discovery come in. That that's what's going on. That they have it, it has been discovered by them. This investigation, and and because of this legal language, the focus then shifts to the idea of a law-centered assumption made by the accusers that Paul is playing off of. Okay, so while 
incorporating a dualistic meaning in referring to Christ as dikaianos, or that that um, table servant. Um, this word usage would serve for both purposes of a minister or a table servant. Now, in my translation, I chose minister uh, because of the religious connotations of serving the personification of sin as a type of cultic figurehead to help highlight the absurdity of such a claim. Finally, Everyone agrees that the negative me with the optative uh, genoito should be translated in the strongest way of negation. And I chose it could never be a reality uh, as a way to express the absurd conclusion of even entering such a thought. So again, my translation of um, verse 17 is... But if we are seeking to be pronounced righteous in Christ, and we are found to be sinners, why don't we just admit that Christ is the minister of sin? It could never be a reality. Now, just to back up really quickly um, to verse 16, I want to read verse 16 and 17. Well, I'll read 15, 16, and 17 in my translation to kind of remind us of where we are so far in the way that I've translated it, so you can hear this all together. So, verse 15, we are naturally Jews and not from Gentile sinners. And, it starts 16, and we have always known that someone is not pronounced righteous by the works of the law, but through the faith of Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus in order that we shall be declared righteous on the basis of Christ's faith and not from the works of the law, since by the works of the law no one will be pronounced just. Verse 17. But if we are seeking to be pronounced righteous in Christ, and we are found to be sinners, why don't we just admit that Christ is the minister of sin? It could never be a reality. So I'm going to continue on with this after after the little break here with verse 18, um, which I've translated, For if these things I destroyed, I rebuild again, I myself have proven to be the one who disobeys. And we're going to unpack that in, um, well, in about uh, 40 seconds here, I'm assuming. Got a little bit of time before we hit hit the marker. But um, you know, it's a great reminder to check us out at samsonstick.com and uh, that may be changing to the theologypit.com pretty soon. Uh, we're going to see if I can uh, make time to be able to do that. But now let's take a quick break from, uh, from this and hear what my wife has to say. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Theology Pit. Do us a favor and check out our website at samsonstick.com. Tell us what you like or what you don't like and consider making a donation. Just send a buck to show your appreciation. It's more than just money. To us, it's an encouragement. samsonstick.com. Thanks again. Now back to the show. So chapter 2, verse 18, again reads, For if these things I destroyed, I rebuild again, I have myself... I have I have I myself have proven to be the one who disobeys. 
So, starting with the subjective genitive understanding, with a little bit of new perspective you know, mixed in there, um, the word gar, uh, we usually translate as for or therefore, um, shows us a continuation from verse 17. The rebuilding that Paul is speaking about is the wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles regarding the table. Uh, Martin writes, quote, The law can play a role leading not to the defining and vanquishing of transgression, but rather to transgression itself. Specifically, Peter and Antioch and the teachers in Galatia uphold the food laws in order, they think, to avoid transgression. However, they follow a new route towards transgression. Matera agrees with Martin on this point, saying, quote, The context of this passage, the Antiochian, the Antioch incident, suggests that what Paul tore down is the dietary legislation which separated Jew from Gentile by forbidding table fellowship, unquote. Paul switches from the plural pronoun to the singular to seclude himself from Peter and the others, as Martinius C. DeBoer points out. Quote, Paul now refers exclusively to himself, for he knows that Paul and the other Jewish Christians in Antioch have deserted him, having capitulated to the demands of the circumcision party. Unquote. While Paul is separating himself here, he is not going so far as to dismiss the righteousness that Peter and the Jewish Christians have as a result of Christ's faith. Now, the objective genitive position, and moves a little bit more towards the law gospel, um, Paul continues with his comparison between the law and faith in Christ. Martin Luther likens this verse to a new guest, uh, Christ, moving into a new house. And the old guest, Moses, uh, must depart elsewhere. Uh, Luther says that for Paul, observing the law as is, uh, quote, as necessary to salvation as the false apostles do. And by this means, instead of righteousness and life, I should restore again sin and death, unquote. Any works being done may jeopardize salvation since it is only by faith alone in which we are saved. John Christensen does not take it quite as far as Luther in understanding the existence of the law. For Luther, the law still seems to have relevance, whereas Christensen, the law no longer exists and therefore should not be appealed to. Christensen says, um, note the shrewdness of Paul, for they wanted to show that the one who does not keep the law is the transgressor. But he turns the arguments upside down, showing that the one who observes the law is a transgressor, not against faith, but against the law itself. What he says is as follows. The law has ceased, as we ourselves agree, insofar as we have left it behind and taken refuge in the salvation of faith. If we now strive to establish it, we become transgressors, trans, I can't I say that word today, transgressors, by this very fact. As we strive to observe the precepts dissolved by God, unquote. That was his homily on Galatians uh, 2, 18. 
So the difference becomes more pronounced when understood that Luther equates righteousness as including a turning from the law while accepting Christ as one movement, as we saw earlier in uh, verse 16. So my summary on all this um, Verse 17 and 18 complement each other as a continuation of Paul's pericope or unit of thought. While he has moved into the language of the law, he does so to reveal what is implied individually. Gar is a continuation of the idea that Christ is a minister of sin. F.F. Bruce observes that the I is not personal, but is to refer to anyone engaging in such a behavior. He says, quote, um, the clause, uh, parabatain, uh, at the end, starting with parabatain, at the end of verse 18, is almost equivalent to the understanding that Paul gave of, you know, I, I found you to be sinful, you know, unquote. The force of this observation is to compare in a legal sense that either I am proven to be a sinner or I have openly confessed to being a sinner. Each clause is carrying with it the understanding of covenantal lawbreaking. Uh, Longnecker agrees with Bruce that the switch from the plural to the singular I has occurred, but the reason is more diplomatic. Paul is not talking directly about anyone but himself. But by using this as a means to direct the accusation away from himself and toward the objectors presently. Longnecker writes, quote, The sentence is cast in the form of a first-class conditional sentence, not a second-class contrary-to-fact condition, probably because Paul has in mind Peter and certain other Jewish Christians who, in one way or another, seemed intent on doing just that, even though terribly inconsistent in doing so, unquote. So, by Paul using the law to speak in terms that the Jewish Christians would understand, he is following his original message of separation based on ethnicity. To give allowance for the ambiguity, I chose to translate uh, parabatane with the idea of disobedience to be effective in each inference. I made this decision with the larger text of Galatians in mind. Now, verse 19 reads, therefore, and again, we have this, therefore, we have gar in there, this continuation, therefore, through the law, I am dead to the law in order that I might live in God. Now, subjective genitive section, uh, or view would say, um, dying through the law has a perplexing shift in Paul's thought. Many of the commentaries cited in this this paper and in this podcast here found difficulty with this passage, as can be noted with the differing explanations. Knowing exactly why Paul didn't say that he died through the cross will give pause to the interpreter. Martin explains the significance by drawing attention from uh, namo in in the dative um, to, which would be to the law. Namos is is law, so to the law in the dative, um, with um, a pathanon as quote particular to Paul, meaning to be separated from that thing 
by the event of one's own death, unquote. See, the law becomes personified as an, addiction, as an additional character in Paul's account. Quote, the law in the event of Christ's crucifixion, Martin writes, quote, the law uh, did not stand idly aside. It pronounced a curse on Christ, effectively taking up its own existence and carrying out its own activity apart from uh, God. Paul's participation in Christ's crucifixion was thus a participation in the event in which the law acted against God's Christ. Unquote. Matera helps us find understanding, helps find understanding in, in Paul in Romans 7, verse 21 and Galatians, uh, of Galatians 2. He says this, quote, uh, his, Paul, um, his meaning here is clarified by what he says in Romans. By association with Christ's death through baptism, Christians die to the law. Thus, Paul writes, quote, in the same way, my friends, you have died to the law through the body of Christ, unquote. That's Romans uh, 7, 4. This happens through the law, dianamu, through the law, because Christ died under the law. And that's from chapter 3, verse 13, unquote. Uh, Longnecker follows in like manner with Matera regarding Paul's understanding of dying to something in uh Pauline usage, Longnecker writes, quote, to die is something, to, to die to something is to cease to have any further relation to it. And he's citing Romans um, 6, 2, 10 and 11, and also um, chapter 7, verses uh, 2 through 6, unquote. Scott McKnight understands verse 19, uh, looking through Romans 7, as an example for the Gentile Christian to not create their own type of law that would exclude others based on ethnic or cultural backgrounds. McKnight writes this, quote, the ego among, which is the I am, um, among the Gentiles um, that needs to die is the ego which attempts to pollute the gospel. And surely a subspecies of this ego is the one that thinks the death of the Son of God is not good enough and instead needs to assert itself. But as I say, this is a subspecies. The real issue is the attempt to erect national privilege as boundary gen Jews and Gentiles. Paul died to the law, and here he urges Peter to die with him in Christ's death, unquote. Now, Hayes disagrees with using Romans to shed light on this verse because, quote, in Romans, it is clear that uh, one dies to the law, not through the law, but through the body of Christ. And that's Romans um, 7, 4 in the NRSV, i.e., through union with his death in baptism, found in Romans 6, 1 through 11, unquote. Hay seems to allow for the opaqueness by stating, Paul does not offer any explanation of this point, and we may be well advised to concede that we do not know exactly what Paul meant in this uh, aphoristic statement, through the law, I died to the law, unquote. Looking for clues to understanding uh, verse 19 in the letter itself, Martinius C. DeBoer has noted the apocalyptic language here in the first chapter. The apocalyptic event for DeBoer is, quote, an event that spells the end of the old age where malevolent powers hold sway over God's creation. The law is one of those powers. 
unquote. For DeBoer, verses 19 through 21 give reasoning to the jarring statement found in verse 18 and the parallels between 219 through 21 and uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, and they are noteworthy. In Galatians 1 um, through uh, 13 through 16, we have, um, he's using words, in me, uh, and compare that to Galatians 2.19, where it says, in me. Then we have patriarchal traditions, and then the law, his son, the son of God, his grace, the grace of God. So, continuing with the apocalyptic view, DeBoer writes the, quote, discontinuity between then and now, discernible in chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, is emphasized anew in verse 19a with the claim that I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God, unquote. Like Hayes, DeBoer does not think that appealing to Romans is helpful because Paul is writing something familiar to Galatians that has already been established in chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Quote, Paul's participationist language, writes DeBoer, is not here sacramental, as for many commentators who read Romans 6, 1 through 10 into Galatians 2, 19. But informed, oops, I'm, I'm sliding stuff around here, uh, but informed um, and shaped Sorry about that. I'm looking at the time. I didn't realize that we are at the end here. So I'm just going to finish this part up and we will start again on verse 19 in the next theology pit. Um, but inform the shape, categories, and motifs of native Jewish cosmological apocalyptic eschatology. The footnote in DeBoer's commentary says uh, the, vor- the vor- verse is often interpreted by making complicated theological appeals to other passages in Galatians uh, or Romans, especially chapter 7. Presumably, however, Paul here is saying something that the Galatians will be able to understand based on what has already been written. According to DeBoer, Paul's life has had a had a radical shift from his intimate relationship with the law to his intimate relationship in Christ. Quote, Paul himself died to the law through the law because his zealous devotion to the law and its works led him to persecute the very church of God, um, affecting a collision between the law and Christ, the final result of which was his death to that law. Unquote. So, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to Theology Pit. I'm going to recap that a little bit in the next episode and then continue on in uh, verse 19. Now it is definitely time to close down the pit. Mm-hmm.